Welcome to the South Mims U podcast. In this episode, we're going to bring two seemingly opposing subjects together. Mindfulness and football, or if you're listening in the United States, soccer. Now, the rise of the mindfulness movement has been inexorable. You can't open any newspaper or magazine or peruse the internet for more than a few seconds without someone praising the efficacy of mindfulness and promising to teach you how to be mindful for, well, usually, a handsome fee. But there might be a simpler way to become mindful, truly present in the moment and free from the personal cares and pressures which assail us all each day in the modern environment. And that, according to my guest, is watching football. Or soccer. Or soccer. Uh, that was the voice of Luther Bogle, our reader in social psychology here at South Mims. And he's about to publish a paper called Mindfulness, It's a Game of Two Halves. That's a snappy title, Mr Bogle. Oh, thank you. Please, call me Luther. Oh, Luther. Is your thesis... I imagine <laughs> you have 95 of them. <laughs> that, that is a joke I hear very often. Oh, is it? When you have Luther as a Christian name, you're prone to illusions to THE Luther. Uh, that's Martin Luther, he of the Protestant Reformation, for the sake of those who don't know. That very same. Is there a football team in Wittenberg? That's the town where he nailed his famous 95 theses to the church door. They do, and it's called FC Grunweiss Pisterites, who play in the sixth tier of German football. Might Luther, I mean Martin Luther, uh, have been a football fan, do you think? I don't know. Probably not. He wasn't a very cheery fellow. OK, so mindfulness and football. Now, that's a very strange combination. It is. And my research into whether mindfulness is, in fact, aligned with watching football has led to some strange consequences for me personally. Indeed. Well, we'll come on to that. But can you explain what your idea is, Luther? OK, so... Let's take a step back from the whole mindfulness industry. It's relentless, isn't it? I mean, mindfulness this and mindfulness that. It's rapidly become a cliché and, I fear, in some cases, a scam. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to accuse mindfulness practitioners of being a scam. Well, I wasn't doing that. I was just being, well, provocative. It's what they teach you in Podcast 101. Mm, OK, right, well, if you say so. So, mindfulness, the roots. Yes, the roots of mindfulness lie in the human predicament. Ah, that old chestnut. Yes, I, I admit it's an old chestnut, but one we find hard to crack. <laughs> was that a joke? No, uh, sorry. Perhaps it was a weak attempt at one. Well, I'm just ribbing you, Luther. Carry, carry on. Right, well, the modern human predicament is that there are ever-rising levels of anxiety which are linked to the way we organise our lives day by day. We are constantly anxious about the future and work mostly to protect ourselves against the perils of that future. Well, I don't think I follow you, Luther. I mean, we all work to ensure our well-being in the future, don't we? I mean, that's the natural state of things, isn't it? Well, no, not really. Well, how so? You see, for most of our evolution, the development of our species, Homo sapiens, we were living what social psychologists call an immediate return lifestyle. Immediate return? Yes, we lived for the moment, or at least the very near future. That is, the next meal, the coming night, the next day's meal, and our safety, moment by moment. We were not thinking about next year or the next decade, or our retirement from hunter-gathering. 
Okay, I think I see where this is going. Our self-awareness was limited in its scope. We were closer to our ape ancestors. We lived day by day. So everything we did was geared towards an immediate return. That is, we chased a deer because we wanted to eat it. We gathered water to drink and to cook right now. I see, but but that changed, did it? It changed around 40,000 years ago, when what some archaeologists call the Big Bang of human consciousness occurred, and suddenly you see art and religion and ritual burials with grave goods. People began to think about themselves differently. They developed self-consciousness, and that meant they began to think about themselves in the future, not just in the present. Oh, right. So the delayed return is when humans began to plan ahead, put down stores of food and that that kind of thing, right? Exactly. The key to a delayed return approach is that you have self-awareness, not just of yourself in the surroundings you happen to be in, but as an individual with needs, wants, ambitions and relationships. Well, I can see the logic of that. And the logic of self-awareness is that you then get anxiety about how the future will turn out. Anxiety then creates a constant inner dialogue about what you should or should not do. Have you made the right choices? What do you want? What do you hope for? What do other people think of me and of what I'm doing and how I do it? Yes, that constant chatter inside your head. I mean, we all have that. We all do. It's what makes us human, and it's what drives us mad sometimes. It never stops, does it? It never stops. And one of the basic tenets of mindfulness is to try and reduce it so that you can be more present, more in the present, and less in the future. But your inner voice also worries about the past, doesn't it? Of course, a lot. But usually because it's relating the past to what you're trying to do now, and how past events or relationships might help or hinder the outcomes you're seeking in the future. Okay, I I can see your point, but, but I mean, what has this got to do with football? I'll get to that. Let's stay on the practice of quieting your inner voice. That's a vital part of mindfulness. You're supposed to turn down the volume of your inner commentator and just focus on what's around you, on your breathing, on the trees outside the window, or the clouds in the sky, or whatever aspect of the present you want to focus on. That then reduces anxiety, because you're no longer thinking or worrying about your next move, and what the future might bring. Your entire focus is on the moment. You are fully mindful of the moment. That makes sense. It's hard to achieve, but it makes sense. So, you're following good mindfulness practice. You're paying attention to the present. You've turned down the volume of the inner commentator. You're trying hard not to judge anything around you. You are entirely in your head. You are in the moment and you are in a state of non-doing. That is, you're not doing anything but focusing on being. You're not planning or talking or assessing or scheming. You're just being the pure you. And that means you're able to be philosophical about this moment and all its implications for how you live and want to live. This is getting a little esoteric, isn't it? My contention is that you can do all of those things by watching football. And I mean really watching it. When you're involved in a game, nothing else matters but the game. Well, and the result. Sure, but the result is only 90 minutes away at the most. So in terms of a human lifetime, that's the present. It is an immediate return scenario. That's a bit of a stretch, isn't it, Luther? Perhaps, but I thought that my idea was worth pursuing. Hence the article. Now, 
That's called Mindfulness, A Game of Two Halves, an intriguing title which I think suggests there's another side to your argument. You're right, there is. OK, so let's kick off the second half. <laughs> right, good segue. Thanks. The most difficult thing you can do when you're trying to be mindful is to turn off that inner voice, which I call the inner commentator. An apt allusion to football. And not, not really my allusion. Social psychologist Mark R. Leary, who is Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience at Duke University, writes about it in his book, which is The Curse of the Self. Right, and the title suggests his approach, perhaps. It's a very positive book because it takes an honest look at how your inner voice can hold you back how it gets in the way of your ambitions and relationships, because that inner voice, that commentator, can be so critical. Self-reflection can be destructive and inhibit action because you're afraid of what others might think or of failing to achieve what you want to do, and that can lead to depression. So it's important to minimise the power of that commentator and its opinions. Like when you're watching a match and you're irritated by the commentator and you just want to turn him or her off, right? Right. So, practising mindfulness can help you do that. Watching football can help you do exactly that. With the sound turned down? No, you have to go and watch the football. Be there, be present, be in the moment, at the stadium, close to the action. That's true mindfulness. Yes, because everything around you is vividly real. The smell of the food, the grass, the people, the beer, the sound of the crowd, the ball, the players, the feel of the air, the rush of emotions as the action plays out. You're forced to be in the moment, focused on immediate sensations and action. OK, um, that makes sense, actually. But there is a problem. Right. Uh, this is the part of the second half where things go wrong, is it? By practising what I preach and going to games regularly, something has happened to my inner voice. Your own personal inner voice? Yes. It's actually become a commentator. But I thought you said it was one. Yes, but in my case, it's become a football commentator. I don't follow. Um... You'll see what I mean in, in a minute. I teamed up with my colleagues in the Brain Technologies Department. We have a Brain Technologies Department. <laughs> we do. They're working on implanting technologies in the human brain. That sounds scary. Elon Musk. The Tesla guy. Yes, the Tesla guy. His company is working on what they're calling brain hacking. The company is called Neuralink. They want to... Uh, this is part of their official mission. They want to achieve superhuman cognition. They've actually started trials. <laughs> Sounds a bit like a kid who's been reading too many science fiction comics. It, it does, but we've actually made more advanced breakthroughs here at South Mims. Really? Really. In fact, I have a chip in my brain right now. That is scary. What's it, what's it doing? Currently, I, I'm scanning your online search history. Very interesting. You're joking. Yes, I, I'm, I'm joking. I'll, I'll be serious. Our psychology department teamed up with the brain tech guys to see if there was any way to turn thoughts into sound waves so we could, quite literally, read people's minds. Well, that is more than scary. And then we discovered that we could. This was a unique chance to actually hear the inner commentator that can make our lives so difficult. So you're telling me you can broadcast your, the inner commentator? I mean, your inner commentator? Yes, I'll play you a recording. What's really surprising is that not only is there a commentator, but also a pundit alongside him. I mean me. I am the commentator, of course, but weirdly the pundit, or as the Americans put it, the colour commentator, is, well, you. Me? Yes, my fiercest critic. 
I'm honoured. And there's crowd noise. This is fascinating. I play it. Uh, OK. This was recorded when I went from my office to our building's kitchen to get a coffee from the machine. Here it is. Luther's on the move again. I think this is his fourth coffee of the morning. Oh, this guy's caffeine intake is insane. It's got to be overhyping his thinking. You can see it in the sloppy sentences he's been writing all morning. He's not on his game today. Now, Luther's hesitating. Oh, my word, he's gone through the door without bumping his knee. Oh, he's been working on that clumsiness for a while. Oh, I don't know if he can ever get over it. It's, it's, part, it's too much part of his game. Now he's heading the wrong way down the corridor. Oh, maybe this is a clever feint to deceive us all. Oh, I don't think you could ever be deceived. OK, he's turning around. And it's clear he's in two minds. Have that fifth coffee or not? Resist the muffin or have it and feel guilty all the way to dinner time? Oh, this guy's guilt trips are epic. And you can see he's putting on the pounds. That's going to affect his game in the long run, isn't it? Oh, he's upping his pace. The decision is made. Coffee and a muffin. And to hell with the consequences. Oh, it's a bold move. Sure to regret it later. That's what he's best at. Regret and self-pity. Not a nice combination. Now he's turning the corner and he's nervous. Now his brain is going ten to the dozen because the dean is there staring at the coffee machine. The dean. No, no, that's the last person he wants to bump into. He's hoping for a promotion and he's afraid he'll say the wrong thing again and screw up his chances. His nerves are slowing him down. She hasn't seen him yet, but he, he's hoping she stays fixated on choosing her coffee. Ah, oh, I don't think he can help himself. He's going to try and say something clever, but something stupid will come out. He's, he usually says something stupid. Oh, no. Oh, my. He's tripped on the side of the water cooler and she's looked around and he's made a lame joke. He's got to work on his jokes. He should stick to the departmental matters. When he tries to say something clever, he always fluffs them in the final third. Get into the box and then strike with confidence. That's what he's got to do. Well, Dean is moving away, but, but she's smiling. That's not so bad, is it? It's a polite smile. Just a polite smile. He's blown it. No, his spirits are low. You can see that. He's going for that carrot cake. Oh, this is going to be a disaster. That's remarkable. And embarrassing. Oh, the Dean is a very fair woman. I mean, she wouldn't make up her mind on a promotion just because you, uh, well, trip over yourself and sometimes say inane things, uh, would she? Probably not. But, but do you see how destructive that inner commentator can be? Yeah, I can hear it. But to me, it suggests perhaps you've been watching too much football for your own good. But that's the only time I don't hear the commentator and pundit. Well, why do you think that happens? I think the real football neutralises the commentator and the pundit. Possibly. Uh, as you said, it's because at the football, you're in an immediate return situation. But when you're in your normal life, it's all delayed return. Yes, that could be it. I don't know. Is your brain chip working now? It's always working. Can we link into it live, so to speak? Ooh, I don't know if I like that idea. It'll be a revealing experiment. I mean, some live inner commentary. For the sake of science, you should do it. Well, OK, I'll just open the app on my phone. Well, there's an app for that. There is. It's in its beta phase, but, but it works. Right, I, are you sure about this? I am. It will be a good way to end the podcast. Here goes.
Well, I think Luther did pretty well in that podcast. It was going to be okay until he agreed to let the audience listen live to his inner commentator and pundit. And why is that? Because he's desperate to get out of this small studio and away from that interviewer's bad breath. I mean, it's rank. Now he's fumbling with the app. Oh, but he can't seem to turn it off. Oh, this interviewer bloke. I mean, whoever he is, it's clear Luther thinks he's an idiot and should get some mouthwash. I think he's got control of the app now and his fingers are under control. He should be able to turn off the app and save some face. Oh, but the interviewer looks a bit perplexed. No, that's not perplexed. That's mortified and a little angry too. This is a disaster. He's walking off. This is bad, very bad. I don't see how we can come back from this. Some people are coming into the studio. They think it's all over. It is now.